I am glad when we gather together as the Christ Journey family. And wherever you're making your connection with us this day, I'm so happy that you're with us, especially if this is your first time. Gables Campus, Kindle Campus, Church Online, across the nation, around the world, thank you for joining us this day. And speaking of around the world, I recently returned from Lebanon and had some amazing experiences there in our ministry. Uh, but I also had an unusual one. A guy came up to me one day, a local leader who was an English speaker, and just said, right, just said, you look like Trump. And I said, well, that's a new one. I've never heard that before. Can't wait to tell my wife, see what she thinks. And he looked at me again, and he's, it was like, uh, maybe it's the hair. And I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure that helps me. So last week when I was getting my hair cut, Arturo, I was telling Arturo who was cutting my hair and his eyes kind of widened because I'm not sure that's the look that he was going for. Politics aside, I mean, can we say that? I know it's a political season in America. Can we say that? Politics aside, um, aren't perceptions strange? And really, misperceptions are more what I'm talking about. In our world of spin and denial and cover-ups and sidesteps and smoke and mirrors and haze and all the rest, there's a reason that misperceptions abound. Sometimes we, call, we, we say little white lies. I don't, what, what is that exactly? And some aren't so little and white. You know, Some are just big, fat lies, right? But there's a reason for the misperceptions that we, uh, that we experience. I have known men who lie to get what they want, to get sex, to get money, to get some kind of advantage, a little edge to their, what they perceive to be their advantage. I've known women to lie to get love, to, get, uh, to lie about love, to get married, to get what they want, to get citizenship or to get uh, money. And we wish it weren't true. And... Yet when it happens to you, it's hard to believe, but it does. And the irony is that the last three generations, at least in our country, all claim to value authenticity. We want to keep it real. You know, we believe we're keeping it real. We want to be real in life. It's interesting also how our children's stories reflect that. You know, Pinocchio, the Geppetto's little wooden boy, he just wants to be a real boy. In the story of the Velveteen Rabbit, it's a story about a shabby little toy that becomes real by the love of a child. And it's not just about kids' stories. One of the driving forces of a man's life is this desire to be a real man. We see it in movies like Rocky Balboa or Adonis Creed. You know, the, the looming question is, do I have what it takes? And then you get the challenge to show that you do and then be a man, be a real man in life. Now, if I were to ask you, what kind of people do you like hanging out with? Are you going to tell me, oh, two-faced hypocrites, they're my favorite? No. You're, ladies, do you say this? I like the kind of people who say one thing to my face and then they say another thing when I'm not around. No. Or do you say this? You know, I really prefer men who are living a double life. No, you don't say that. You want people who won't leave you saying, you know, you think you know somebody, but you don't. But it's not easy. I mean, we want to be real, 
But even in our closest relationships, it's hard. Hard to speak the truth in love. So we become artful dodgers, you know? We, uh, we try not to hurt people's feelings, and we actually miss connecting. We, we miss authentically connecting altogether. Now, 1 John chapter 4 is about being real. We're coming to that opportunity today in our study of the letter of John, 1 John. And John says it matters. It matters. It matters in life. It matters in church. It matters because Jesus told John, you know, imposters are coming. Frauds, religious frauds are going to show up at church who take advantage of people to get money, who manipulate for ego and power. Jesus calls them wolves in sheep clothes. We would call them predators. What are we to do about it? 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Now, spirit here, the word means essence. Don't take every invisible essence that presents itself at face value. Um, the essence of knowledge, the essence of desiring, of deciding, of acting. But test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone into the world. And this is how you can recognize the capital S, Spirit of God. The invisible essence of God. This is what he's writing to us about. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit, every invisible essence that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit, the invisible essence, John says, of the Antichrist, whom you heard is coming and even now is already in the world. First century, verse 4, you Dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's key. They are from the world and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. But we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever's not from God doesn't listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit, the invisible essence, capital S, of truth. The spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So when it comes to the free exchange of thought, of invisible essence, of desire, of deciding, of acting, the invisible essence of human living, John says this, test everything. Test every essence. Test every spirit. And as you do, believers, take a sieve, not a bucket. You know, don't just swallow all that stuff. You're going to need to let a lot of it pass through. Many false prophets are in the world. They look good. They sound all razzle-dazzle, right? But they are pretenders. They're phonies. They are imposters. Expect them. They're already here. They are religious deceivers, and they are specialists in the art of of misimpression, misdirection of religious deception. Listen, did you know Jesus never preached hell hotter than he does for the fakes, for the hypocrites? Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law, 
Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you do, when he becomes one, you make him twice the son of hell, as you are, woe to you blind guides. I mean, he's unleashing it. Verse 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Man, this is intense. Jesus and then Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, watch out for false prophets. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. These are the double lorder types, you know. One Lord isn't enough. They got to lord it up. Lord, Lord. Like we really, we know the game. They can talk the game. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we drive out demons and perform miracles in your name? And Jesus said, I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Jesus is dead serious against lying hypocrisy. He doesn't like it, neither do you. Some people say, that's why I don't go to church. Too many hypocrites. And sometimes it's true. People aren't real. People are faking it. People, uh, people are not sincerely seeking to follow Christ. I mean, they've got another agenda. And I've, I've seen it. But you know what? I've been pastor long enough that I, I also know that there is no such thing as a perfect Christ follower that doesn't make them a hypocrite the opposite of a hypocrite isn't perfection of it's not being perfect it's being a growing believer growing for real so we don't quit going to restaurants because we find out oh lots of hungry people are there no, we don't stop, we don't get after hospitals because there's so many sick people over there. And we don't get upset when believers bring their needs, their hungers, their imperfections to church. What we're talking about here is people who are living a lie. People who are presenting one thing, pretending to be one thing on the outside, but on the inside, they are on the take. How can you know what's real? That's what John's writing for. And he's saying, you know, there's an app for that. Three checkpoints to apply to guard your life alignment to God's truth. They're like channel markers that identify uh, where you can keep your vessel in the flow. And if you align to these markers, you're going to be all right. You'll be all right with them. Um, here they are. God's written word, the Bible. God's incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And God's living word, the Holy Spirit. The written word, the incarnate word, the living word, the Holy Spirit. Now let's unpack it just for a moment. First, Jesus said, the Bible, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God the Father. He's talking about God's written word. Now, the letter of 1 John is in our Bible because it was written by one of the very first disciples of Jesus, an eyewitness to his life, to his ministry, to his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. He was there. And so we have his writings, 
as part of God's written word so that we might align to the truth. I was taught as a young believer that if I want to know the will of God, I need to know the word of God. And I, I had that underlined for me with Dr. Henry Blackaby one time. He said, Bill, you know, when you have a leading that you believe may be a prompting from God, always ask for confirmation in his written word. You can say, Lord, give me a verse. So get to know your Bible because it will be a light to your path and will shine the light so that you can see the difference to keep you from false teachers. But it's not enough simply to know and quote Bible verses. The devil can quote Bible verses. In fact, he did it to Jesus in his temptation. And so there's a second channel marker. First, the written word of God in the Bible. Second, the incarnate word in Jesus Christ. Incarnate means in the flesh. Verse 2, every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the incarnate word of God is from God. So, does your teacher in question show the kind of character and conduct that we see in the Jesus of the Gospels? Not just spectacular claims of demon casting and miracle doing and, you know, signs and wonders. No. Is he or she treating people in their life, in their ministry, the way Jesus did in the Gospels? Is he or she kind, respectful? Do, do they have compassion? Are they caring for those in need? Not taking advantage of them. You know, Jesus never charged admission for a miracle show. Jesus didn't have people give money for healings. So just look and see. Test the spirits by getting to know the Jesus of the Gospels from the eyewitnesses, and then check to see if the teacher you're in question about is leading people to that Jesus come in the flesh. Do they build their ministry? to help people follow Jesus, to know Jesus? Or, or is there another agenda that's at work there? Now, third channel marker, the Holy Spirit. John's focus, he calls him the spirit of truth. Some teachers' focus is on the spirit of gifts. Some teachers' focus is on the spirit of wonders. It, it's almost like a magic show, you know? And what John says is, no, the real thing isn't about getting worldly attention. It's about speaking truth from God. The spirit here is the spirit of truth. That's about being real. Now, what's more real than truth? The spirit Jesus sent speaks the things Jesus spoke. So we align to who Jesus is by the spirit in the word, the essence of Jesus. And now we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Not the, simply the gifts of the Spirit. It's the fruit that shows you what kind of tree you're dealing with. Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 20, by their fruit you will recognize them. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, God's written word, Galatians 5, says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not flying off the handle. It's not, I'm here one day and gone the next. No. Does the teacher in question show the essence of God's Spirit? Or is there pride? 
Is there hiding? Is there manipulation? Is there greed? Is there selfishness? Is there impatience? Is there lust? Is there anger? Well, then watch out, because what you may be dealing with is a wolf in sheepskin. Now, the rest of chapter 4, John takes us out of the testing challenge and invites us to enjoy the comfort of being real as we share together the chief fruit of the Spirit. What is that? Love. Love. It's like we're relieved of guard duty at the gate and now can just find our place on the couch with our family. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. Love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God's kind of love, in other words, doesn't take advantage of us, doesn't manipulate, doesn't intimidate, doesn't violate us. God's love looks like Jesus among us as his body, his family. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God's love is other-focused. God's love serves. God's love sacrifices. God's love shows up in valuable ways to others, for others' benefits. God's love does not wait for us to make the first move toward him. His love initiates in relationship. He's the first one to forgive, the first one to cover our sins, the first one to try to make it right. Verse 11, so dear friends, since God so loved us, you know we're not just loved, you are so loved, you are so precious, you are so treasured to God. We ought also to love one another like that. We treat each other the way God treats us. No one has ever seen God. But, this is a mind blower, if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Did you ever have a show and tell day at school? You know, where you were supposed to bring some item and then show it to the class and tell everybody about some part of your life. John is saying that as a church, in your group, with one another in the family, we get to be part of a show and tell to one another about our lives and our experience of God together. His love. And uh, though we can't see God, listen to this, we can't see God in his invisible essence. Yet, we can see him by spirit in each other as we show love. His love through our bodies incarnate. Now, this isn't a metaphor. This is real substance he's talking about here. Verse 12, if we love one another, if and when we do is what he means, then uh, God lives in us. It's like the life of God comes alive in us and starts showing up through us and God's love is made complete 
in us. It's like, okay, the coals are there, but you're blowing the, and you're fanning the coals, and suddenly the fire starts, the, the flames start leaping up in our lives when we really love one another. When we don't wait for somebody else to love first, we're the ones who initiate. And then God makes himself known to us in each other. Now in the first half of chapter 4, what John has done is just show us how to be on the lookout you know, for imposters. Now he's showing us how do we be part of the real thing so that others can see God in us. And he says it's through love. Verses 13 through 16. He shows us the essence of God, the tri-unity, the community of oneness. Here's what he says. We know we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his, capital S, spirit. Verse 14. And we have seen and we testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So there they are. Spirit, Son, Father, saving the world in love. And there we are in God and God in us. And that's why verse 15 says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in him and he in God. We have been invited in to the community of God's revealing self. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And so then in trusting the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know God is real. It's not fake. And we know his love is real. And when you know this kind of love, then fear starts falling away, starts melting away. We know God isn't out to judge us, John says but he's really come to love us. Verse 16, God is love. You feel it, you know it. And whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in him. We're part of this community now. This is our community. But, and then he says, and so we have confidence on the day of judgment. We know accountability is coming, but we know we are loved. Verse 18, there's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is raw, deep human insight here. I'm going to ask it about myself, but I imagine it's true about you. What keeps me from being real? The answer is fear. Fear of being rejected. Fear of being ridiculed. Fear of being penalized somehow. If you knew the real me. Fear of being judged for who I am, for what I've done. So, you know what I do? What we do? We hide. You know, I learn how to pretend so I don't let you see what's going on in me so I won't be punished somehow. Does any of that sound familiar? But here's what John is saying. When I'm loved, when I'm accepted and I'm forgiven and I am, uh, I feel safe enough to, uh, to stop hiding, then love is having its way in me. It's still scary, but love gives me new confidence. And so 
I can now grow into what John calls being made perfect in love. You know what that is? That's becoming real. My truest self. I become more real in love. Just like that velveteen rabbit that was a shabby broken toy until through the child's love it became real. This is what love looks like. Agape love sacrificing itself for the well-being of the one loved and in the sacrifice becomes even more real. God is modeling what Jesus taught. It's when you lose your life that you gain it. It's when you lose yourself that you find your truest self you become even more real in loving the way god loves verse 17 just a few words after john says god is love he says this in this world we are like him this is a big one christ followers are to be known to be the ones who love like God loves in this world, even now. What does that mean? That means we seek to keep it real by loving the way God does. By loving the way God does in every relationship of our lives. At our work, we bring value. We serve with integrity and do our best for the benefit of others served. That's how we love through our workplace. In our relating to others, we show up with truth that can be trusted so that they come to know we don't lie, we don't cheat, we don't steal, we don't backstab. We use words to calm fear, not create fear unnecessarily. And then church. Church is the place where you can, you can be loved where you're safe enough to grow to be real. And then we love at home, too. We show the fruit of the Spirit. Imagine this being served up in your home. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Husbands and wives treating each other with kindness and respect. Parents and kids treating one another with kindness and respect. I mean, we're not perfect. None of us are. But we are growing in love. This is what John says, into a more perfect union. And we forgive. This is what God does. God has forgiven us in Christ. Now by his spirit in us, he wants us to forgive one another as well. And did you know something? Forgiveness isn't just for the offender. Forgiveness is for the offended as well. Here's what I've experienced. Maybe you have too. Letting forgiveness get out of me is the way that God's healing flows into me and through me. And as it's allowed to pass through my soul, it brings healing to my broken heart. It's a way of loving yourself well, of forgiving others. God loves you. You should love you too. And one of the ways you love you is by letting God's kind of love get through you to others. God's kind of love looks like Jesus among us. Imagine, imagine your world. If everyone in it were to know the touch and the feel, the flow of God's love, and imagine that flow coming through you. Would you pray with me?
we are so humbled and grateful, Father, for this amazing plan and that you have modeled it. You haven't just dreamed it up. You have lived it out. That you have come to us through your Son and then given us of your Spirit so that we might be joined together as your family. We thank you for this church. We bring to you all of our imperfections, all of our longings and our hungers and our needs, and we thank you that your forgiveness has covered us in Christ and that your Spirit is growing us to be more like him. Pour your healing into each hurting heart today, every hungry soul today, and then, Lord, as it's coming to us, we want to let it get through us, amen? Would you just say, Lord, as you come to me, I want to let you get through me, to my family, to my fellow workers, to those in school, to my neighbors, to my world. And perhaps, friend, for you, this is your first real thought of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can make a similar prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I open my heart to your spirit. I receive your forgiveness. I am turning from my way to follow you and your way. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Come alive in me now. I receive your love as I make my prayer in your name. Amen.